Welcome to Wines We Drink, a podcast for wine lovers and learners. I'm Charlotte Norsworthy, and together with my counterpart, Keith Herndon, we'll be exploring a new wine each week. Keith is a lover of wine, and I am a learner of wine, and we hope you'll continue learning and sipping along with us. Welcome, everyone, to Wines We Drink. I'm your co-host, Charlotte Norsworthy, and I'm joined by Keith Herndon, a certified wine sommelier. Every week during the summer, we open a bottle of wine, we drink it, and we talk about it. Hello, Charlotte. It's great to be with you today for, as you said, drinking wine and talking about wine. That's perhaps my favorite subject. (laughs) So, you know, we're at a great place for wine conversations. We're recording today's episode at the Terrific Tap Wine Bar. So a big hello to our friends Todd and Angela Hurt, the tap proprietors. Yes, hello Todd and Angela. We had a great show here last week as we drank a bottle of delicious Pinot Noir from California's Napa Valley. And it's great as always to be back at what we're calling our second home for today's episode. And we'll be back again for the next two weeks as we close out our second season of Wines We Drink. So if you've missed any of our episodes from the last season or from this season, you can catch up wherever you listen to your podcasts. You'll find us on all the major podcast platforms, and we have links to each of our episodes on our website's episode guide, which you can find at wineswedrink.com. Charlotte, you just mentioned that in last week's episode, we featured a California Pinot Noir. Uh, That 2020 bottle from the Vice Wines was a great example of that varietal's California style with a lot of vibrant red fruit up front. Well, today I want to contrast that a bit and take our taste buds in a little bit of a different direction. Ooh, that sounds intriguing. What are we going to be drinking? Well, we're moving from that ruby cherry red Pinot Noir from last week to a deep purple Malbec from Argentina. Wow, okay. I'm not going to have to wait to comment on this one. I can see from the wine that you have in the decanter that our bottle today is an inky wonder. And I'm not sure simply calling it deep purple is quite descriptive enough. This is quite interesting to the eye. Inky wonder. You have your wine copywriting skills on full display today, Charlotte. That's a great way to describe what's in the decanter and what will soon be in your glass. (laughs) Wow. Well, can you give us some more details about what we're drinking? Certainly. I've selected a 2018 Susanna Balbo Signature Malbec. The the wine in this bottle is actually 92% Malbec with a touch of Cabernet Franc making up the other 8%. I think adding that little bit of Cab Franc has worked wonders in reducing the concentration of the Malbec, which can be a very dense wine. So also, let me add in full disclosure of the connection to our recording location today, that it was Todd Hurt who introduced me to this wine a few months back. Uh, Todd has an amazing palate, and when he gives you a wine recommendation, it's spot on. Wow, well, that's just another reason to visit Tapped Wine Bar, and I'm super excited for this one because it seems like unlike any wine I've ever had before. Yeah, as as for the wine we're drinking today, Balbo called it, quote, one of the most cherished wines from my winery, end quote. And she added that, quote, this wine expresses all of the power, elegance, and pleasure that Argentine Malbec can offer, end quote. You know, I I get the impression from reading it that she really likes this wine. So let me add that when you're quoting Susanna Balbo, you're quoting a wine industry legend. Uh, from, from, uh, after graduating from college in 1981, she became the first female enologist in Argentina. In, in those days, it was a very unconventional career path for a woman. 
but she has torn down so many barriers and opened so many doors for women in wine. She has transcended from being the first lady of wine in Argentina to, to really becoming a global wine icon. Well, now I'm doubly excited about trying this wine. I mean, hearing you describe the wine was one thing, seeing the wine was another, but I'm learning about this woman pioneer. I mean, it's, it's really moving. So I'm excited to pour some of her wine into our glasses. Yeah, so let me, uh, let me get some uh, wine going here. Let me uh, get your glass and uh, pour some of this uh, inky wonder as we <laughs> described it, right? Yeah. Wow. There you go. There's your glass. You want to give that a swirl? And yeah. Get ready to smell that one. Even the bubbles are purple. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it is um, uh, a, you know, a, a, a really interesting color wine. But, but again, um, you know, as I noted earlier, I had already opened this bottle and we've had it in the wine decanter. Um, I think anytime you're drinking a red wine, uh, particularly one that's dense like this, you know, I encourage you to plan ahead a little so that you can get it into a decanter and allow it to breathe and open up its flavors a bit. For this medium-bodied Malbec, you know, you should follow the guidance from Wine Folly's uh, Wine Decanting Guide and, and let it sit for between 30 minutes, an hour, and that'll open it up and it'll let some of the flavors really come to the fore. Yeah, it's like remembering to set out a stick of butter before it's time to start baking. Remember to set your wine out, people. Um, you know, I already jumped ahead earlier and described this wine as an inky wonder. I mean, it really is just dark and completely opaque. There's no seeing through it. <laughs> well, you're not, you're not alone in, in using that kind of a descriptor. When I was researching this wine for today's episode, I, I found several writers who would use the words ink and inky as part of their descriptions. You know, it is a very deep purple color, so, you know, so that's appropriate, I guess, right? Yeah, and you mentioned earlier the contribution of a little Cab Franc to this bottle. As we move into actually drinking some of this wine, are there any other factors that we should consider? Yeah, yeah, thanks for asking that. I, I think there are two important things to know about what impacts this wine and its flavor. The first is process. Uh, it was aged 13 months in French oak barrels. 30% of those were new barrels, so there will be some really oaky traits in this wine. The, the second one is environmental. The vineyards producing these Mendoza grapes were above 4,000 feet, and that creates some harsh growing conditions. So the, the grapes respond in that environment with a thicker skin, and that provides some added tannins. You know, so there's a lot of flavor science at work here. I'm not going to bore our audience with all of that, but... But it, what, it, what it ultimately doesn't mean, though, that it's going to be overly astringent, even though there's these extra tannins. I think the overall effect of the tannins in these high-altitude grapes is a bit softer and rounder than you might expect. Huh. Okay. Well, that's some excellent background. I feel primed and ready to drink this wine. Okay. So before you drink, it's already in your glass now, but before you drink, put your nose in the glass and smell this wine, and then think about what are some of the aromas that you're getting out of that first sniff. Wow. Oh, man. Quite a distinct aroma from, again, unlike any other red wines that I've personally had. So I think maybe my nose is being influenced by my eyes, but I'm getting a strong smell of blueberries. Bingo. Bingo. <laughs> right? You hit the wine bingo today. You know, the first aromas mentioned in the tasting notes for this wine on several reviewers is blueberry. Wow. Okay. Well, I don't know how anyone would miss that aroma, to be honest. <laughs> it's very forward on the nose. 
Um, so I think I'm going to go in for my first taste. Yeah, absolutely. Go for it. Yeah, much softer and rounder than I did expect. So thank you for that warning. I'm still <laughs> struck by how those dark fruits really do come forward on that first sip. I mean, it's blueberry, but it's also blackberry, and it isn't overly astringent. It isn't overly harsh. Yeah, I, I, I like the way you describe that, not overly harsh, you know. But go in, please have another an, another taste, and then let's talk about some of the other secondary notes that comes through. We, we've already talked about those those black fruits, the, the blueberry, those dark fruits, the blueberry and the blackberry coming through. But um, I think you'll start to unveil some other secondary notes. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Yeah. Thinking about the part two of the flavor, um, there's definitely those hints of the oak aging coming through. There's a toasty vanilla aspect to the wine. And, you know, I'll be honest, whenever I was smelling it, I was getting hints of molasses that mm. I actually don't get when I taste it. It was kind of scary, if I'm honest, because you see a dark wine and you think, oh my gosh, this is going to be overwhelming. But it was a lot brighter and toastier than uh, on the tongue than I you thought. Know, I, you know, that's really good. You know, I, I think the oak aging is really necessary for this wine because it gives it a lot of structure. You know, when you age in oak and it kind of softens the tannin somewhat, it allows some of that slow oxidation to occur, you know. <clears throat> but I think what really gets me about this wine is it has this long quality finish when you sip it and that allows you time to sort out all of these complex flavors that are there dancing on your tongue. For me there's a, a spiciness that you would expect from a Malbec but there's also some of that some some what I would call Jamie Plum. Maybe that's what mm, you were thinking of yeah. molasses you know I yeah. think of it as is this Jamie Plum and there's even a hint of of chocolate. Go in there for another taste and see if you can find that chocolate. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Like you said, that sort of long finish really does unfold a lot if you concentrate hard enough. Um, and the chocolate is really interesting because, um, you know, I, I could see this. I know that I don't want to jump ahead to our pairing period, but I could see it being paired with a lot of different things based off of just the tasting descriptions alone. So complex is always a good way. I mean, I think it's a good way to describe this wine in general. Um, there's a lot going on, <laughs> but <laughs> right. other things that I was tasting on that, you know, third and fourth sip even is uh, things like maybe mint, um, some smokiness. I mean, those are almost opposing flavors, but <laughs> there's just so much on the back end of the wine. I mean, all in a great way, but just, yeah, definitely a lot. Yeah. You know, you're right about that. There's so much going on, you know, I I'm not sure I've, I've completely sorted out all of the flavors I get. You know, uh, every time I open a bottle, there's something new for me to discover with this wine. And, and so I think I'm going to just keep coming back to this gym. I mean, uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, Todd Hurt um, here at the Tap Wine Bar turned me on to this wine. And it's just something that's easy to keep coming back to because the wine is so flavorful and complex. But it also is safe for the wallet. Uh -huh. It's really a, a good value proposition. No, that's great to hear. In this wine, I could definitely see it as being one that tastes new every time you you open it. So going back to that value proposition, um, how much would someone pay for a bottle of this wonderful Argentinian Malbec? Well, the national average price on the Vivino app comes in at a mere $22 a bottle. Wow. That's a great price for this exceptional wine. I mean, let me add that this wine is quite popular with the users of the Vivino app. 
It's been rated more than 1,500 times on the app, and it comes in as a top 4% wine in the world. Man, that is a great Vivino ranking, and to be still under $25 represents another win for our listeners. Yes, it's a great wine. It has a great story behind it. No one can, di- can diminish the impact that Susanna Balbo has had on the wine industry. And now her legacy is being passed along as both her son and daughter have joined the winery to work alongside her and, con- and continue building on, on what she has started. Man, I mean, where do I sign up for a gig like that? I mean, this is, and and the excellent selling, the quotes that you mentioned earlier in the episode about how much she personally backed this wine, just it all adds up now. Um, I mean, once again, you've provided a selection that checks all of the boxes. Great wine, great price, and a great story. Uh, we're going to take a short break, but we'll be back soon with our pairing period. And when we return, Keith will pass along his suggestions for how to pair today's wine with food. Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to today's episode. We're now in what we call our pairing period. This is the time in each episode where Keith shares ideas for how to pair today's wine with food. Charlotte, thank you for that setup. Yes, the pairing period is a special part of our podcast because it allows me to emphasize to our listeners how important I think pairing food is to our enjoyment of wine. You know, for me, the the best meals are those I pair with wine. So, So let's get into my suggestions for this week. Yeah, let's pair some wine and food. When we were pairing our Pinot Noir last week, we talked about how that varietal could claim France's Burgundy region as its ancestral home. Well, it's also important this week to note that Malbec also can claim France as its its ancestral home, right? Malbec is an important component in many of the French Bordeaux wines we love and a lot of other French blends. So naturally, Malbec wines have an affinity for French-style cooking. And it's going to cut through some of those creamy sauces we associate with French food. But overall, as a big, intense red wine, uh, the wine we drank today is ideally suited for what Food & Wine magazine described as some cliche pairings. <laughs> you know, the grill meats, the big steaks, racks of lamb, and those double-thick pork chops. Well, so as Malbec migrates from France to Argentina Does that style change enough to alter how you think about pairing it? Well, personally, I would describe the style of the Malbec we drank today as decidedly spicier than a typical Bordeaux, right? So yes, I would adjust my pairing choices a little. You know, for example, Food & Wine's uh, Guide to Perfect Pairing features a recipe for mixed grill of lamb and short ribs and has a fresh tomato and pepper salsa. You know, so the recipe also calls for adding in some chorizo and another style of hot sausage. Um, Those peppers will complement that Malbec really nicely, you know. Another recipe describes griddle gaucho steak, which, you know, you butterfly cut a filet mignon and then marinate it in a red wine vinegar, some olive oil and garlic with a lot of chives. You know, it calls for charring the steak on the outside and then cook it to a medium rare internal temperature. The combination of that smoky char and the herby chives will go nicely with our Malbec. Man, I'm over here drooling. That all sounds wonderful (laughs) to pair. 
Uh, you know, the one thing I'm taking away from this discussion is that this is a wine that loves meat. Uh, you're not wrong about that. That is a very correct uh, assumption. This is a meat lover's wine, right? Um, the official tasting notes from the winery suggest beef, pork, and game meats. But I want to say that there's hope for those vegetarians out there in this wine. You know, don't give up on it. I, I think you could grill a real thick portobello mushroom. Mm. And that earthiness of the mushroom and the smoke from grilling that portobello would give you an excellent pairing with this wine. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a wonderful meat alternative, but still within the hardiness that this wine sounds like it needs. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with that word, hardiness. You know, our Malbec that we're drinking today needs some hardiness. And I'm assuming that, that this characteristic would also carry over to our cheese selection uh, if I'm serving today's wine with cheese, what would you suggest? Well, during the break, I put some slices of a very hearty Gouda cheese on a plate for you. Uh, this particular Gouda has a hint of smoke in it. It was actually apple smoked. So I, I think that makes a really nice friendship with our Malbec. You know, so please have a bite of the cheese and then follow it up with a sip of this wine. Don't mind if I do. Mmm. Wow. You know, as expected, that sort of dense texture works fantastic with this wine, but really what does it is the smoke. There's sort of like a, a caramelly quality to this cheese that works really well with the jammy flavors in this wine. I mean, this is a cheese and wine pairing that just simply works smoked Gouda, Malbec, adding this to my shopping list. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I agree that it's the smokiness that works most to, to complements this wine. But but have another, have another sip and another bite there, right? Mm. You know, it's that creaminess, that smokiness, uh, the spiciness of the Malbec, mm -hmm. it all just works for that. Yeah, it just, the, you know, it all just kind of comes together in your mouth and you're having a really like a little Malbec party. Oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Know? So, you know, so, so I, as I said, I, I think it's the smokiness that works with this, you know, to most complement this wine. But, but if you're out there adventurous, you know, there's a lot of people that make all different types of Gouda and they flavor it with different, uh, you know, different um, elements. You know, so I think if you're trying this Susanna Balbo signature Malbec, find some bacon Gouda, Ooh. right? Or some truffle Gouda, you know? Uh, that truffle Gouda may uh, have some garlicness to it, right? Or if you can find it, there's some cumin Gouda out mm. there on the market, you know? Uh, it'll have a warm, spicy flavor that would go really nicely with this uh, Malbec. So, so see if you can find some Gouda cheeses as a base and then play with some of the elements that people add to that. And then they, I think they all kind of play nicely with this, with this wine. Absolutely. Choose your Gouda variation. Um, <laughs> I mean, those all sound delicious and like great suggestions, especially depending on the type of get-together you're having or the main dish that you plan on serving. Um, but sadly, we've arrived at the point in today's episode where it's time to say goodbye. Um, but we'll be back next week for our penultimate episode, which is my fancy way of saying the next to last. <laughs> we'll be recording again at Tapped Wine Bar. Um, so Keith, what wine will we be drinking? Well, you know, this year we're going to be ending up with our last two episodes heading to France. Classic. And next week we're going to have a classic style Cote de Rhone. The bottle we're drinking is a 
favorite, not only of myself, but a lot of people who are really fans of the Cote d'Aron style of wines. Another Keith favorite, and you have so many. I don't know how you keep track of all of them. Um, but I'm looking forward to tasting that one next week nonetheless. Thanks, everyone. Yes, thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to Wines We Drink. Listen to our other episodes anywhere you get your podcasts. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Wines We Drink and on Instagram at The Wines We Drink. Cheers.